Good morning. Miracles are supernatural intrusions into our natural world. Jesus' miracles then are windows through which we can see more clearly who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. Um, Jesus came announcing his message was the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And the good news, if you were to boil it down, that Jesus announced, you can put it a couple of different ways. One way to put it is that his coming marked the breaking in of the reign of God upon the earth in a way that had not been realized before that point. We find different expressions of God's intrusion into this world. But what Jesus ended up saying, repent and believe the good news because the kingdom of God is breaking into this world with Jesus coming in a way that had not been experienced on this planet before. Um, This is what Jesus asked people to believe, that his coming marks an unprecedented expression of the kingdom of God on the earth. And Jesus demonstrated a couple things about the kingdom of God, is that it is a kingdom of truth, and it is a kingdom of power. It's a kingdom of truth. Way back in the beginning, the first five books of the Bible are called the law. And in Deuteronomy, Moses prophesied that God would send someone to speak clearly and authoritatively on his behalf. Look what he says in Deuteronomy 18. It's in your worship folder. Uh, Moses speaks to the people. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Uh, Moses announced that in the future God would raise up from among the Jews. He would be a Jew. A prophet who would speak on God's behalf, this suited the people just fine, because the unfiltered experience of God on Mount Sinai was not nice to experience. The unfiltered experience was terrifying. And so the fact that God would send someone as an intermediary to speak on his behalf suited them just fine. They didn't want to hear directly from God as he appeared on the mountain. And Jesus announced when he was asked directly by a Samaritan woman. He announced that he was the prophet Moses talked of. Again, look what it says in John. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. The one, he who is called Christ. As we look, Messiah and Christ are exactly the same term. Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is Greek. It means the anointed one. And in this context, the one anointed by God to bring clarity. Uh, When he comes, look at this with the woman's understanding. When he comes, the Messiah, the Christ, he will tell us all things. 
Jesus said to her again, very clearly, I who speak to you am he. That person Moses talked about, the prophet in the future, who would speak clearly about God, that's me. Um, Jesus represented God then in a new and prior to this time, unexperienced way. Look what he says. They went into Capernaum, which is the northern part of Israel. Capernaum is up in the north, and it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. On the south was purely Jewish. In the north, that hailed back to a time when the northern kingdom, Israel was divided in half. The northern kingdom went into captivity to the Assyrians. And what they did, they brought people into the north so that the Jewish culture got watered down. So they intermarried, and so that's why it was called Galilee of the Gentiles. It was seen, if you were from the south, the north is a bunch of half-breeds. You know, they have all different kinds of bloodlines up there. Um, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Rabbis in Jesus' day would cite what noted rabbis said about portions of Scripture. Again, rabbis were brilliant. They said not only what the Old Testament, they memorized it. The first 39 books of the Bible memorized, but not only did they memorize that, they memorized what rabbis said about those books. They had photographic minds. Um, Here's what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. When you understand what Jesus is doing here, he said, you've heard it said, but I say. You know what that's like, somebody going into the Senate and said, you've heard it said in the Articles of Confederation that the Founding Fathers said, yet, 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 but I say. It's like, wait a minute. Who are you to challenge the law of the land? Because at this time, the law of Moses, in a theocracy, We live in a democracy. They lived in a theocracy. The law of God was the law of the land. And Jesus comes and says, well, you've heard it said, but here's what I say. He was trumping the law with his own words. Um, Jesus came to reveal the truth of who God is and what God wants. And when he did so, and this is what we need to understand, he is calling prior expressions of God into question. Jesus would indicate that he is the one who fully and finally reveals God's character to the world. Um, Naturally, if we lived at that time, we would want to know, what gives you the right to change the law that God established with us on Mount Sinai. And what Jesus indicated, you remember that person Moses talked about? That teacher who would reveal all things? I'm the one. They said, prove it. Anybody can say they speak on God's behalf. So if you're going to claim to do that, you're going to have to validate your status. And this is where miracles come to play. Miracles establish Jesus' credentials 
to bring a different expression of God into the world. And what he would dictate and indicate, this is what God is like, and pointing at himself. And the miracles are those which establish his believability. Um, it's a kingdom of truth and a kingdom of power. What it says, and this is where we find a miracle, when he returned to Capernaum. After some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they were thus that they, they that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Um, prior to this visit to Galilee of the Gentiles, Jesus had been forced to stay outside of the city. This is because he had visited the city earlier and it created a tumult because of all the miracles he did. In fact, there's one account. It's not in your worship. Well, let me just read from Mark chapter 1. And this is a prior visit that forced Jesus to go out into the remote areas because they were looking for him. Uh, a leper came to him and imploring him and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus didn't heal everyone who confronted him with sickness. But the reason why he healed anyone, that he was moved with pity. He saw people in dire straits who were suffering, and it, he felt it in his gut. In fact, the word for pity is the word for stomach kind of this part, it's, he, he saw it, he cared about it. That's why he healed people. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could not could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So the reason why he had to leave was because everybody was hunting him down, and he just 
he needed to get out. He returned to Capernaum after some days it was reported that he was at home. He probably, he didn't announce his entry into Capernaum. He went in quietly. He said he stayed at a home. We don't know exactly whose home it was, but it's probably Peter's. Um, that's where they they operated out of at some point. Peter lived in the north, and so it could well be that that's the home that they were operating out of. Uh, the house is packed. The townspeople learned that Jesus was in town. They thronged to the house. And it goes as far as to say they were standing in the doorway. They, it, was, it was packed. Um, and when, and it says, and then they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Uh, four guys come to the house carrying a paralytic on a mat. Literally says as they unroofed the roof. Um, the roof was a mud-thatched roof. So a mixture of mud and thatch that creates a clay-like substance. Um, the way it worked, there was a flat roof. There was a stairway on the outside of the house, so you climb up the stairway, and that was thick enough to be able to support. So that's what they did. They bring this guy up the stairway to this one thing house, then they, they come out on the roof, and now imagine there's a mud and thatch roof right above their head, and what they start to do is to dig. And so if we're down here, and just, just get the picture, we're down here having a meeting, and Jesus is speaking, and they're up on the roof digging. Now, they are digging mud and thatch. What's going to happen? What the heck? And what we know, the scribes and Pharisees are sitting. They have, they're not standing. They are probably sitting close. So you've got these people with, you know, the weird hats. And, and so, and this stuff is flaking down and more and more. And so they have to wait for these people to dig in through the top. Um, defaced. I, I don't know what Peter was doing at the time, but he was looking. What in the world? Uh, interesting. Some see this as a destructive act. They, they ruined this guy's house. You know, it's interesting, though. You know, Jesus didn't, for Jesus, and it's just a little point, the welfare of people was much more important than the welfare of things. He didn't have pity for things. He had pity for people. That's what moved him. That's what mattered to him. Says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And what Jesus saw is their faith. Um, they believed that Jesus could bring healing because he brought with him the kingdom of God. And you know what the deal is with their faith? In some way it was understandable. Jesus had been in that area and healed people without exception and without breaking a sweat. And he was back in town. And they said, you know what? Remember all the things he did when he was here before? Let's take this guy that they knew and he was poor. He just had this little mat. That's what he lie on. And they took this mat and they climbed up the stairs and they dug through the roof and they lowered him down. And Jesus looks at this guy, flaking off the stuff out of his head, and um, and said, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Um, 
He sees their faith. We see faith as being meritorious. You know, that their faith, you know, that's the reason why they did it, because they had great faith. Their faith wasn't that big a deal. Natural. He had just been here. He had been there a short while earlier. He did all kinds of miracles. Um, it raises a question, not why faith exists, but why doesn't it exist? Their faith was natural. It, um, we have a couple of things, reasons why Jesus couldn't always do miracles when he entered a place. Let me read you another, when he went to his home. He came to his hometown. It's not, it's not in your sheet. It's just a story. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Are not his sisters here with us? He took offense at him. What does this guy think he's doing? Where did he get all this wisdom? What does he mean doing all these things? Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown. What he says, a prophet without honor is one who, it's not that they just don't praise him, but it's, it's a sign of contempt. They are not just, they are, who does he think he is? And they took offense at him. Um, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages teaching. Familiarity breeds contempt. They knew him. They didn't expect that he could do any miracles. Now, in the north, where Jesus was, they didn't know him, and they only saw what he could accomplish. Um, one of the reasons why um, Jesus couldn't do any miracles is, is unbelief. But again, what I want you to see, it's not that faith is this big deal. When you see what Jesus did, it would be natural to believe, unless you knew him a long time and you said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Um, miracles aren't unusual in light of his prior visit. Now, what Jesus said is highly unusual. He said, son, your sins are forgiving. forgiven. What is unusual is Jesus is forgiving the paralytic his sins. Unprecedented. And the reason the Pharisees and scribes who were couched in the religion of the day knew exactly what they were hearing. And this is what they said. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? What they understood, forgiveness is a divine prerogative. Now, we can forgive someone, but not on God's behalf. Jesus is forgiving sins against God. Now, he hasn't died yet. So what he does, he has the authority at some point to say, your sins are forgiven. And it wipes the slate between a sinful man and a holy God. And Jesus doesn't have to try hard. He doesn't have to do any incantation 
Your sins are forgiven. Done. When he does it, it's done because he is speaking on behalf of God and has the authority to do so. The, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew exactly what was happening. Um, Jesus' pronouncement of forgiveness was understood as a blasphemous act. And Jesus is accused of blasphemy because he's acting like God. Some people say Jesus never claimed to be God. It's not true. This is not true. They understood exactly what was happening. Jesus claimed to do a divine thing. They, he understood it. They understood it. They said, time, you can't do that. And he said, I can't. I can't. What he ends up saying I'll prove to you that I have authority to do this. It says, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk? What's the answer to that question? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your pallet and walk. What's the difference between those things? If I say, your sins are forgiven, how do you know anything happened? Do you know anything happened? Your sins are forgiven. Nothing happened. But if you're crippled, rise, take up your pallet and walk. Okay, that's something that's verifiable. You know something happened. And so Jesus said, just so you know, I have the power to do the first. Let me show you I can do the second. Now, what the miracle exists for is so that they will believe the first thing he said. That's why the miracle exists. So that when he does the second thing, they'll believe he can do the first thing, which is on God's behalf, issue a, an expression of, by the way, your sins are forgiven. Now, I know you can't see anything happening, so I'm going to show you something so you believe that. And that's, that's what happens. The reason that it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, clear. Um, it's assumed that the man is, is healed. This would demonstrate Jesus' authority to forgive sins. You know what your sins are forgiven means literally? The word for forgiven is to take up and away. That's what it means. It's from, to lift from. And relative to forgiveness, there are two things Jesus can do with your sins. Take them or leave them. Literally, can take them or leave them in place. Take them away or leave them in place. And when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, you know what he does? He's basically saying, there, gone. Are your sinful actions all gone? Will you, will you never more do a sinful thing? Does that sinful thing that you will do have the ability to create a breach between you and a father who loves you? That's what forgiveness means. Relative to a relationship with God, done. Taken out of the way. That thing you did, those things you think, you know that tendency that you have? You know that thing? You know that thing, right? We all have those things. When Jesus says, by the way, 
Your sins are forgiven. Now, he didn't have to go, wait a minute. <laughs> no, 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 let me get this going. I need to, I need to, I need to get some juice going here. I need to. <laughs> It, it, he doesn't have to try hard. And he didn't. And this is before he died. He didn't die yet. He forgave sins before he died. He had the authority to do so. Your sins are forgiven. You know what he wanted? He wanted something difficult. He wanted them to believe it. We understand that's difficult, don't we? That Jesus can take sins out of the way. And he would have us believe it. Um, That's what he had the authority to forgive, to confer forgiveness by a word. When we think about miracles and faith, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this little, little, little saying that will kind of clarify the relationship between faith and miracles. And here it is. Miracles exist for faith, not vice versa. Miracles exist for faith. Faith doesn't exist for miracles. We have a tendency to believe that if we can... We kind of relate to, oh, geez, I don't have a bunch of faith. This is about it in my wallet. Okay, I have a buck worth of faith. And we have a tendency to believe that what we do, faith is like currency. We generate a bunch of faith, and I don't have a bunch of faith, so, I mean, what can I get with the dollar's worth of faith? Not much of a miracle, maybe a parking spot in front of Walmart. Maybe I can get that. Certainly not get my kid to behave or be healed from a sickness. You need a bunch more faith than that, right? We tendency we have a tendency to think that faith exists for miracles. That we develop a bunch of faith like currency and give it to God. And we tend to think that, well, the way you amass this faith is going to church a lot and doing a lot of things and You're building up a cash flow of faith, and then you can, when you get to the place, then you automatically turn that in for a miracle. That's faith existing for miracles. It's not the way it goes. Miracles exist for faith. The reason why Jesus did miracles is so that we could believe him when he tells us about what the kingdom of God is really like. We didn't know about the kingdom of God clearly prior to Jesus coming just wasn't there. Moses understood it wasn't there. He said, somebody will speak on God's behalf clearly. That was Jesus. And so we know that's what the kingdom of God is like, what Jesus said it was like. How does, what does God want? What did Jesus want? What does God get upset about? What was Jesus upset about? How does God feel about sickness? What did Jesus feel about sickness? That's what, and miracles allow us to um, believe. That's why they exist. So miracles exist for faith, not vice versa. Faith doesn't exist for miracles. Um, Miracles 
And the reason why that's important, miracles are not reliable indicators of divine activity. Look what it says in Matthew 7. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now understand what Jesus is saying here. Some will come to him and say, remember the time I said, in Jesus' name, and I cast out the demon. Remember the time I said, in Jesus' name, do the miracles. In Jesus' name, prophesy, and that's what's going to happen. Remember how all that stuff, Jesus is going to say, remember how all that worked? I said it in your name, and, and Jesus says, I never knew you. So what it means then, miracles are not reliable indicators of divine activity, right? Right? Do miracles happen? Yeah, they happen. Can you trust that a miracle is authentic, certifiable expression of divine activity? And the answer is no. And you know what we're going to find? If you're going to love something, don't love power. Love truth. Don't love power. Love truth. There won't always be the expressions of divine power, but you already know that, right? Has God answered all your prayers? Those things you asked for, the miracles you wanted that didn't happen, why did they happen? I know why. Didn't have enough faith. Has somebody ever told you that? You dealt with an illness, and a well-meaning Christian said, your problem is that you don't have enough faith. <clears throat> not true. It's not the way it works. You know what God wants for you? To believe that he expresses what the kingdom of God is like. You know what he wants you to believe? Isn't it obvious? No. Your sins are forgiven. 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 They are. Believe it. Why should I believe it? Because it will change your relationship with him. Your sins are forgiven. That's what he wants you to believe. That's why he did the miracles, so that you believe that. Only God can forgive sins, and that's what Jesus came to pronounce, to proclaim. Miracles are not reliable indicators of divine activity. The fact is, miracles are counterfeitable. Counterfeitable. Look what it says. Paul writes, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. When it talks about false signs and wonders, it's not that they were tricks. 
there were real miracles. He talks about false signs and wonders are not, not wonderful. They are false in that they are ascribed to God, but they're not from him. That's what the falseness is about. It's something that is presented as a, see, that proves that God is in it. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Miracles are not reliable, foolproof indicators of divine activity. They just are not. That's what it says in Matthew, and that's what it says here. Look what it goes on to say. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Would you agree with me? There's a difference between loving truth and loving miracles. Don't love miracles. Again, might they happen? Perhaps. Some of you might have had miracles. But miracles exist so that you love truth. Love truth. You say, what do I do if I want to love truth? Why don't you tell God that? I, there's a prayer that I pray. I either write it or pray it just about every day, maybe not every day. It's reveal yourself to me. Reveal it. That's what God wants to do, by the way. He wants to reveal himself to you. And he is the truth. What he feels, what he wants, that's ultimate truth. Do that. As a prayer in the morning, God, reveal yourself to me. And you know what Jesus says, seeking you shall find. If you're seeking miracles, mm, you won't always like what you'll find. If you're seeking truth, you're going to like what you find because he is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And, and truth is something firm and solid and you can believe it. Um, when miracles are focused on, we usually ask how. How? How can you get a miracle? That's the problem with the miracle. There's never one around when you want it. <laughs> you know, there was one over in this place over there the other day, but I wasn't there at that time, so I, I didn't get the miracle. We end up saying, how? You know, is it the way you say it? In Jesus' name. You know, maybe, maybe I'm saying it wrong. You know, maybe I'm going, Jesus. <laughs> so how, how do I make it work? You know, it's, it's like... It's like this thing that just, just wait a minute, this, this thing is working. You know, I used to click this thing and get a miracle. <laughs> it's not, um, do you know what probably is a better question? Who? Who? Jesus said, it's not in your thing, but he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and pro to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We don't usually think about who. You know who Jesus did a lot of miracles in the life of when he was around? The oppressed, the poor, the imprisoned, the paralytics, the lepers, the outcasts, those without hope those without lives, and he expressed the miraculous intervention of God for those who were suffering so that we could believe that God cares about that. Um, we tend to believe that if we can just find the right solution, God will heal our back problems so that we can go play golf on Sunday. Again, you know, I'm not blowing up golf on Sunday. That's not really, it's really not my point. I mowed the lawn on Sunday. On Easter Sunday. Oh, oh. 
<laughs> Did I just get it? And you know what? To tell you the truth, I didn't do it in order to be obstinate, but I was aware of what I was doing. Yeah. Because you know what? I'm going to make I'm going to treat the whole, treat the Sabbath as holy, but I'm going to do it by thinking of God and I can do that while I'm mowing the lawn. Because as far as, and you know what, God wasn't mad at me. Because he doesn't judge me by those ten things. He doesn't. And what he says to me, Mike, your sins are forgiven. And you know what happens as I, as I understand that? Get this. I want to obey him. It's the way it works. The fear of judgment and the love of God are different motivating. And that's why I want you to know your sins are forgiven, by the way. Um, who is a better question? You know what also is a better question? When? When? When miracles occur? Look what it says in C.S. Lewis. I like, I like this quote. I've, I've done it before, but I'm going to read this. Read along with me. And it's on the back side of your worship folder. C.S. Lewis, every once in a while, he, he had some very profound things. This is a really profound statement, I think. It's from Miracles. That you're probably quite right in thinking that you will never see a miracle done. They come on great occasions. They are found at the great ganglions of history, not of political or social history, but of that spiritual history which cannot be fully known by men. If your own life does not happen to be near one of those ganglions, how should you expect to see one? If we were heroic missionaries, apostles, or martyrs, it would be a different matter, but why you or I? Unless you live near a railway, you will not see trains go past your windows. How likely is it that you or I will be present when a peace treaty is signed, when a great scientific discovery is made, when a dictator commits suicide? That we should see a miracle is even less likely. Nor, if we understand, shall we be anxious to do so. Nothing almost sees miracles but misery. Miracles and martyrdoms tend to bunch about the same areas of history, areas we have naturally no wish to frequent. We don't usually ask who or when of miracles. And they're important questions, but we can ask who relative to Jesus. And what he does, he does miracles so that we can believe that he fully and finally reveals what God is like to the world. Uh, worship team, come on up and sing a closing song. As you're in an attitude of prayer, let me just tell you a few things. You don't have to look up at me. Just stay in an attitude of prayer. I just want you to know that it's important to tell God what's on your mind. So I in no way want to discourage asking God for things, even for miracles. Pray about it. Ask him about it. Pour out your heart to him. It's appropriate. And if it doesn't come, just understand that it's not because you're not loved and it's not because your faith is not weak, okay? That's one thing. 
ask him about it. I'm going to tell you something else, though. Again, I want you to remember, when you do something wrong and it's brought to your conscience, I want you to think about what Jesus said. Your sins are forgiven. And here's what I want you to think. Here's a way to say it. After you're aware of something, think about the fact that he's still in you and he's still with you. Good's still ahead of you, guaranteed. Do you remember that? Think about it. I want you to think about what you did yesterday, last night, the thing you read, the word you said. I want you to think about that, and I want you to think about this in your mind and express it to him. God, that thing I did, I guess I wish I hadn't done it, wish I hadn't seen it, wish I hadn't said it, but I guess what you'd like me to believe, and again, you think this towards him, you're still in me. You're still with me. Good is still ahead of me. Guaranteed. You're still in me. You're still with me. Good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. Can you remember those things? Would you say them silently in your heart to him? You do that. And when you are aware of sin, you remember these things and you say them to him. It's very important for you to believe these things. Can you remember the four statements? You say them to him. Silently. I don't care what you've done. He would have you believe that he's still in you, that he's still with you, that good's still ahead of you, guaranteed. Father, I thank you for that. Help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.